Joel is here, isn't he? Yes. Um, as I said before, Joel, Joel has been going through it for the past couple of years, and every step of the way, the pastors and elders were with this brother, and he was submitted to the Lord, and every, every step of the way. And, and recently, Joel um, had, had the opportunity to sit down with the elders and share, and so I just wanted you, we wanted you to share with the body what's going on, so... Nancy was there too. Good morning. Uh, let's pray. I need to get a calm my nerves. It's been a while. And what I'm about to share, I pray to be brief, which is not in my forte, according to Nancy and my kids. But I, I really want God to be honored and glorified in what to say. God, we are grateful mm, that you have given to us yourself. And in giving to us yourself, You've given to us your people. And so, Lord, I pray that you will be celebrated this morning. Not my decisions, but your faithfulness. And so, God, I pray that we would leave encouraged, challenged, instructed, and then comforted by who you are. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 63, 3 states this. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I struggled to hone down what I was going to say this morning, so I will do my best to be comprehensive and to be, if um, forgive the word brief, but I really want the church to know what God has done in my life and in my family's life over the past two years of difficulty and tragedy, but in how he has used himself through his church to hold us up, to encourage, to strengthen, and more than anything, to reveal the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And two things that I really want to come out of my time sharing this morning is, is one is the loving sovereignty of our God. And two, the steadfast love of our God. Those two theological truths have been taught to me of the past two years in ways that I never expected. I, mean, I grew up in Roxburgh, went to a, a Christian school, had, unlike Gary, had a good Christian family. Mom and dad were faithful, taught me the scriptures the best they knew how, and were always faithful to one another. I graduated in heating and air conditioning school, sought that as a career, and about two, in the year 2001, really began to discover my gift of not just teaching, but a deep desire to know the Scriptures and to know them well. Had no vision to be a pastor, had no vision to be in ministry, only that I wanted to know the Word of God. So I moved from Roxburgh to the mountains of North Carolina, graduated from North Greenville University in 2005, and then on to Southeastern in 2012, I ended my educational um, or my lifelong pursuit of education, it seems like. Right, Jason? Um, and with a master's degree. And in 2006, um, I was married. And um, in that course of time, you know, career had changed. Um, God had opened doors for me to minister in ways that um, I never imagined. Before I dig into that, I want to say this. I give thanks for you as a church upon every remembrance of you. For your partnership in the gospel in the midst of my suffering. God has used you to show me his loving sovereignty 
and his steadfast love. And I can't say thanks enough. After graduating seminary um, and having a heart to teach, God allowed me to um, be in ministry. I've been in ministry for about 10 years in youth ministry and um, also was a co-pastor with Jason Evans at Bethel Hill Baptist Church for some time. And I just had a growing love to teach the word and to preach and to pastor and to elder. And 2012, after I graduated seminary, I went to serve at um, Clement Baptist Church and was a full-time pastor for about three years, something I never envisioned or never dreamed of occurring. I just didn't have a vision to do that. I just wanted to teach the Word. But God began to open doors and provide in ways that I just never imagined. All the while, me and my dad were operating a a heating and air conditioning company um, as, as in existence today. During this period of life and ministry, my family had um, faced some joyous times of ministry as well as some times of suffering. My wife at the time and I experienced difficulty in life, as has been promised in Scripture. You follow Jesus in obedience, you're going to suffer. We don't know the extent of that suffering. All we know is the Scriptures teach us that obedience in the gospel leads to some sort of suffering. And so we experienced that through obedience and, um, and everything that had occurred um, in our life in marriage, basically, God was upholding us. It seemingly was a time of healing that followed in about 2015, 2016. Felt like God had really just given us a vision for ministry. We were serving as um, life group leaders. I had left Clement, came to um, uh, Westwood, and um, began to get integrated into the body in such a way that the Lord allowed us to be a part of a wonderful life group that we were um, um, helping to lead and serving in, as well as became very, um, uh, very uh, involved in church planting in Northeast India, which had really taken a lot of my focus in life as my passion had become no longer being a full-time pastor, but rather um, eldering in a local church um, with the end of possibly church planting. And so God allowed us somewhat to have a taste of that as well as be intimately involved in um, the church growing in northeast India. And so um, those desires had changed and God had changed the trajectory of my life in some ways that we're really excited about. Our family um, seemed to, in some ways, experience some healing and some dreams and passions of mine seemed to be coming true. So in 2019, Gerald at a, um, we were at, the, in July 2019, we were at um, the Durham Bulls game, and Gerald came and sat beside of me and just kind of introduced the idea and shared with me that um, the possibility of me becoming an elder here um, at Westwood Baptist Church. I became very excited about that because it's something that I love by vocational ministry. So I love operating our company, working our company, as well as teaching the Word and leading in some spiritual capacity. So I was really excited. Um, but in that period in July 2019, around that time, I began to really learn um, what God had taught Habakkuk. Um, that is a book of the Bible. Just want y'all to, I'm just kidding. I didn't really know that very well, obviously. But I began to read Habakkuk and um, understood that there were times of unexplained and unexpected suffering that alters the life of the Christian in a way they never expected. Um, and it, it really served as an opportunity for God to show me in a fresh, life-changing experience of God's faithfulness. You know, um, on July 28th 20 of 2019, um, God in His love and sovereignty had led a friend of mine named Ben Duran, pastor of North Rockford Baptist Church, um, for, 
he extended an invitation for me to deliver an exegetical overview of Habakkuk. My first thought was, who is Habakkuk? I'm just kidding. I knew who it was, but had never really studied the book and thought it was quite a daunting task for someone as windy as I to deal with a whole book in the course of a Baptist worship service, right? I mean, that's um, really difficult for us to do. But I began to dig into Habakkuk, and um, one of the ways that I summarized the book was faithful endurance and unexplained suffering. How do we as believers respond when suffering enters our life unexpected, unexplained? God doesn't always tell us why we suffer the way we suffer. God doesn't always answer the way we want him to answer. We have one vision of what his will is, and then there's the actual will of God. We have one way we want God to work, but then there's the actual work of God. So I'd never having studied Habakkuk, I became really engrossed in its message of trust in God's loving sovereignty. I mean, Habakkuk really shows us how he just trusted in God's loving, sovereign hand over all the events of history, particularly over the nation of Israel in those days. Habakkuk was, and the nation of Israel was suffering, and Habakkuk began to plead to God for deliverance, and God's answer was more intense suffering. In other words, Habakkuk said, God, deliver us because there's injustice and you're a just God. And God said, Habakkuk, I'm going to send a more wicked nation to bring greater suffering upon the nation of Israel. That's tough. It's hard to swallow. The following weekend on August 3rd of 2019, I experienced... What Habakkuk experienced. I discovered that my wife, my best friend, and my partner in ministry, much out of character of anything I'd ever known, was engaging in a dangerous affair. An affair that was detrimental to our family and the health of my children. Much like Habakkuk, I turned to the Lord and pleaded daily for him to rescue and to restore my family. Confessing my own sin, my own failures as a father, as a minister, as a follower of the Lord Jesus. All the while expecting him to respond in a way that I thought should be the end result. Because we as believers, right? We, we repent, we pursue Christ, and then we have this end in mind that's going to come, right? God's going to do this. But the suffering became more intense. Decisions were made that truly brought more suffering, more pain into my life than I could have ever imagined. After a year of pleading, waiting, longing for God to do what I thought he would do, my wife, my ministry partner divorced me and remarried. While God graciously, in his sovereign love, allowed me to have the custody of my children. In the suffering, he allowed me to see a glimpse of his grace 
and of his mercy. My dreams had been shattered. My greatest fears were confronting me. I wasn't married till I was 31 because one of my greatest fears was divorce. I feared it. And so it created a situation of fleeing from any, even the possibility of a deeper relationship that would lead to marriage. And here I was finding myself in the midst of it beyond my control, doing what I believe the Scriptures told me to do, and yet it got worse. Shame had filled my soul. Heartache had become my stake in life every day. However, in the midst of such tragedy, such darkness, such chaos, God revealed to me his loving sovereignty and his faithful, steadfast love. And the Psalms became my source of daily rebuke, encouragement, and wisdom. I didn't know where else to turn. All I knew was that my life was broken and in a way that I never expected. My life had been altered beyond my ability to change it, to rescue it. And all I knew was to cry out to him in honesty and in transparency. And I found that in the Psalms. Throughout the Psalms, we find these prayers of the psalmist becoming transparent with God. There were days that you would think that I hated God in the way that I would express myself to him. But he was always open to listen and then to respond. You know, the psalmist states that because your steadfast love is better than life, it's better than life, my lips will praise you. God in his faithfulness was taking a tragedy and was stripping away my pseudo hope, which rested in my abilities, my talents, my marriage. And he was building my hope more securely in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what suffering does. If we rightly respond in suffering, God shows us that our greatest hope and treasure is Christ and Christ alone. Not in my performance, but in my Redeemer. I discovered that in Psalms, his steadfast love is actually defined as committal love. What a message I needed. What a message that I needed to hear and feel and and, and for God to to forge in my heart. Because the idea of steadfast love was God being committed to the nation of Israel despite their failures, despite their sin, despite their weaknesses, despite their ignorance. God was committed to his glory and their good. And so in those days, God just began to remind me in the midst of this intense suffering that I'm committed to you. Even if no one else is committed to you, I am committed to your good and to my glory. He was teaching me what it really means that God is good. You see, God is good and he is always doing good, even when we cannot see and and are not directly experiencing the good that he is doing. God can't help but do good. 
Because he is, in his very essence, he's good. These are truths that in, in, in the dead of night, when I would wake up and weep, in anger, in disappointment, in depression, in discouragement, that I would have to choose for my lips to praise him for his steadfast love because my emotions didn't feel like it. It didn't. There's a whole lot of things I want to do that I will not confess in front of the church. But I did before the Lord. And he understood. And he strengthened and he encouraged. He was forging in me the message of Habakkuk. This Old Testament gospel book, right? Habakkuk having his desire wrecked and his wants denied... By faith, he made a critical decision in the midst of his suffering. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, I'll paraphrase. Habakkuk states, and he chooses to rejoice in the Lord and to take joy in the God of my salvation in the midst of intense suffering because he believed that only God would lift him up. (laughs) That's a choice that Habakkuk had to make, and it is a choice that I had to make. Because to me, the world that I knew and desired, all hope was lost. But God remained the same. (laughs) I want to stand before you today to testify that God is faithful. Man, He is faithful in the times of triumph. And He's faithful in the times of suffering. He is indeed doing a work that we cannot yet see and may never see this side of eternity. But we're convinced he is doing good because he's good. He's faithful. Two years after the tragedy my family has faced, I've seen my daughter publicly profess Christ as her Lord. I've seen my oldest son just begin to be this young man that I never expected in maturity in caring for his siblings. Regularly at school, the teachers tell me that they're amazed at how my kids take care of one another. It's not me. It's the grace of God. On November the 11th, Nancy and I will be married. I'll be remarrying um, my best friend. Never expected that. Quite frankly, I had to go through a journey, a theological journey of, of things that I never thought I would imagine that I would have to think through. Yet God is working in such a way that I never imagined to bring about our good And his glory. He's faithful. And he's doing a work that we cannot see. She's become my closest friend and my partner in the gospel. Our tragedy has cultivated countless hard conversations in our home around the doctrine of sin. 
divorce, remarriage, infidelity, God's loving sovereignty and His faithfulness in the midst of suffering. Things that as parents we never think to talk about and to discuss. <laughs> week after week we have these conversations that are hard, tough to work through. And all of this, I'll confess, fear has struck me many times. The fear of being a single dad with four rambunctious kids. <laughs> the fear of being remarried, what that looks like. But God reminds me over and over that He in loving kindness sovereignly rules over every event in history. Thus I can trust Him. You can trust Him. I can trust Him. Let me close by celebrating God's faithfulness. And I want to share with you how briefly, just in an outline, how God has been faithful to me, has strengthened me, has challenged me, and I pray that it will challenge you. One is through His Word. I thought I went to seminary to prepare for ministry where God was preparing me for suffering. Doesn't mean you gotta to go to seminary. It just means we need to rightly understand why we dig into the text. It's not so I can articulate it, but rather so that I can live it. So I can know the God who created me and redeemed me by his spirit. I can tell you many days, many days, I had no idea how to live that day out without hiding in my bedroom, closing the door in darkness. That's where I wanted to be. And yet God in His Spirit would urge me forward by His Word. And then by His people. When tragedy struck, the elders gathered with me to pray at a moment's notice. Helped me to communicate. Helped me to see what it looked like in the midst of the deepest fog I'd ever been in. How to continue in the path of faithfulness. Called, on me, called me, checked on me, prayed for me. Rebuked me, encouraged me, and comforted me. Godly ladies pursued Kimberly out of love, seeking to restore her. That's what a church does, isn't it? There's ladies in this church of their own volition pursued her. The church in love practiced church discipline with a great, with the greater end of restoration. Never have I seen church discipline displayed in such a loving and kind manner. Those things are not fun to talk about. Not in our culture, not in our generation. We don't like those things. But I will tell you that this church did it in such a loving, gospel-like fashion. Our life group walked with me by listening, instructing, and encouraging on a weekly basis. <laughs> Every week, I wept. And they would listen. Brothers and sisters outside this body walked with me, challenged me, rebuked me, and encouraged me. I think every night that I didn't have my kids, I was at the Evans house. Jason once said, I don't even know why God brought us back. I do. God, in His loving sovereignty, knew that I needed them in that hour. Countless others in this church have been the same way with you. And you've served our family. Tim Bowes always seemed to have the right thing to say at the right time. 
we came to a, me and about five guys, four guys went to court one day and that was kind of the stake of my life for at least a year and we were just about to, about to go into the courtroom, Tim Bose was sitting in the front of the seat and he said, I, I was just talking about my prayer and I prayed that God would just deliver her and, and give her a heart of repentance and restoration and restore our family. And I got through praying, and Tim looked back at me, and he said, Brother, I won't break your heart, but I don't think God's going to do what you want him to do. That's hard to see and hear. He wasn't trying to be ugly. In fact, another brother said, Man, I can't believe you said that. He said, Well, I, I love him. I love him. Sometimes we need a reminder that God's not always going to do what we want him to do. God Put the body around me to encourage and uphold me. In closing, here's how I want to challenge you. One, vertically. Vertically. Resting in the guiding hand of our lovingly, sovereign God. He will guide you. Choose, choose against your emotions, against your feelings, to trust in His faithful, loving kindness and unexplained suffering. Third, let your lips praise Him in the midst of unexplained suffering. No matter how you feel, you choose to praise Him for who He is and what He is doing. Through many tears of brokenness and anger, I chose with my lips to praise Him. And I've got to continue to do that. Horizontally. I want to encourage you, church, to build relationships through life groups. They did not ask me to say this. But I will tell you. In the storiest hour of life, that was an anchor horizontally for me, and it can be for you. Build gospel relationships that will hold you up in the midst of suffering. And then last, as we're about to close service, I believe, I want to urge the church to pray for our elders. I've been where they are. My life made a tragic turn. That I never expected. Theirs can too. These are men who are not super spiritual. They're not insulated from suffering. They're not insulated from life tragedies. But rather they're just gifted to serve in this capacity. And so this morning as we pray over these men. Don't let this be the last time. But only the beginning. Of a daily pursuit. Of God's guardianship over these men who serve as our spiritual elders. Because rest assured, they will need it. Pray for them. Encourage them. Uphold them before the throne of God. That he may sovereignly, he may exhibit his sovereign love and his steadfast love. And how they serve the local church. JT. Thank you, brother. We're going to close our time with the time of prayer. Joel, don't go too far. Uh, in fact, I'm going to ask Nancy to come forward too. And, and she didn't know I was going to do this. But y'all just have a seat on the front row if you would. And I'm going to ask Gary and Scott to come forward. Let's all stand. And if you're an elder serving right now, I want you to come forward too. 
across the front. We're going to have a time of prayer. Okay? Let's stand together. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to pray for the elders specifically. We're going to pray for Joel and Nancy specifically. Um, Jim and Jason serve as elders too. Y'all come forward. We're going to pray for our elders. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Scott and Gary. Lord, we thank you for their testimony, for saving them years ago. Lord, for your goodness and faithfulness. Lord, we know that these men also know what it means to hold on to you, faithful God, through suffering. As Scott battles MS, as Gary has battled cancer, Lord, you have demonstrated your faithfulness to these guys. And Lord, we've also seen your faithfulness lived out in their lives. So thank you, Lord, for their testimony. Thank you for how you have used them how you're using them now and how you're going to use them to bless this body. Lord, we lift up all of our elders. And Lord, we pray for wisdom for these men. Lord, that you would help us be discerning and help us to be faithful to lift up your word and to point others to you, Lord, and to your word. Lord, we pray that you'd give us as elders vision to lead and to look out for danger, uh, Lord, to to have a vision for what you're doing and what you want to do in and through this local body. Lord, we pray that you'd help us live lives of holiness, Lord, that we would be blameless. And Lord, uh, that we would seek to live out the, the, the call and the qualifications that that you give us in your word, specifically in Titus and First Timothy. Lord, we pray for stamina. It's a, it's a hard work. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would help us to labor and to labor faithfully, knowing that our labor is not in vain, but to give ourselves fully as we were encouraged by Scott. Lord, that we wouldn't become weary. Lord, uh, help us to, to be about protecting your body and pursuing unity. And, Lord, help us to do that in all humbleness and gentleness. Uh, Lord, we are, it is a blessing to be a shepherd in your flock, but it is a high calling and a high responsibility. And, Lord, we also, Lord, lift up Joel. Lord, thank you, Lord, for his testimony. Lord, for the reality that you are good and and that you can't keep from doing good. Lord, for the reminder that our greatest hope and our trust in life is Christ. And Lord, in the midst of suffering, whatever that suffering may be, we are called to rejoice into you and to take joy in you, our Savior and our Redeemer. Lord, you are faithful. And Lord, even when we don't understand it, you are at work and we can trust you. Lord, we thank you that you bring beauty from ashes. Lord, we recognize that Nancy is an answer to prayer and that Joel is an answer to prayer. And those are prayers that they weren't looking for. 
Neither were really praying that. But Lord, that's an answer that you gave that we that they're thankful for and that we're thankful for. And Lord, we pray that you'd bless them as they uh, turn the page and start a new chapter. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness through the difficult times. And Lord, we can we're thankful for the good times as well. And for the for the hope that we have in Christ, Lord, that as for us as believers, our best days are ahead. And our the promise that we hold on to that you are walking with us now and you will walk us into eternity and and the, where there's joys forevermore with you. Well, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.